Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Midweek, Champions League and more questions about the Premier League, the bulk of which are being asked of one of the league's most famous managers. Louis van Gaal, unable to get Manchester United playing to their talent level, sees the Red Devils crash into Europa League. We'll talk about that, Arsenal's big win in Greece, as well as City, Chelsea, Europa League, and the Premier League in this, our return to midweek podcasting with a very special midweek host. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of the World Soccer Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Farley. Thank you very much for joining us. Kartik Krishnayar and Lawrence McKenna will be back this weekend with our review show. But as we're trying to come to you with some new midweek content, we wanted to start with a new midweek host. Nimpun Chopra is somebody that's been a friend of World Soccer Talk for a while. And Nimpun, welcome to the podcast. Richard, it is my pleasure to be here. <laughs> that's great. I'm really excited about this show because we've wanted to get Nimpun on for a while. But Nimpun, for some people that haven't heard your voice before, I think yeah. maybe you can tell them a little bit about yourself. Sure. First of all, I'm a Manchester United supporter, so I apologize for uh, what, when we talk about Van Hall, there will be a little bit of crying on air, and that will be me. Some soft sobbing. Let's go with that. Uh, and uh, on my day job, I'm, I'm working on my PhD in neuroscience. So those are my two passions. I, I do science during the day and then kind of sneak away to watch games in the afternoon, and then I come back to science, and then I get to do all these fun podcasts with uh, wonderful folk like yourself. Nimpun is a very astute podcast listener. If you visit worldsoccertalk.com frequently, you might have noticed last month he had a pretty detailed survey of the soccer podcasts that are out there. And I have to give him credit for a couple things, even though it was a World Soccer Talk product, the post. He was really fair about where he graded us, graded us right in the middle of the group of 10 that he rated. And I have to say, Nimpun, what I give you most credit for was rating me as one of the worst podcast hosts, because as you and I have talked about, <laughs> there's, a, there's still a lot of room for improvement in me coming back to the show. But... To what? clarify, to clarify, you were one of, I think you were eight out of 10 out of the 10 best podcasts that I thought in the world. So I think you're doing pretty good, Richard. I think, I think the product is good. I think the host can improve a little bit. And when the host <laughs> improves, it's going to take off. But let's go ahead and talk about the football that happened midweek. We're going to talk about Champions League action here. We're going to save Louis Van Hall for a little bit. Let's talk about the, the stories that are more appetizers this week. Let's maybe talk about the one that has, I don't know the fewest angles to it because nobody was expecting Manchester City to crash out of Champions League having already qualified for the next round. But this is a very underrated victory, I think, Nimpun. We saw how good Gladbach was when they came back, took that 2-1 lead, but Raheem Sterling really stepping up at the end of that game, proving his worth to Manchester City, particularly in the role he's starting in, starting up top. Uh, I thought it was a very impressive win over one of the best teams in Europe right now. 
Yeah, I mean, you would say that, especially based on the results <laughs> over the weekend, wouldn't you? Uh, I, I thought once that second goal went in for Gladbach, I thought City would capitulate. We, we've seen that happen to them uh, recently, especially in pressure games, especially when uh, the likes of company are missing and Yaya Toure is in, on, firing on cylinders. So it needed someone to step up. And I, I didn't think it would be Bonnie. I thought it, if it was anyone, it would be Sterling. And as you said, he, he came up with the goods, two goals, uh, Two goals by him and a goal by Boney in the last 10 minutes of the game. It's such a weird thing with City. We keep talking about them on the review shows. You've heard them. We kind of want to give them the benefit of the the doubt for having players like Company and Zabaleta out. Torre so inconsistent. Silva Mm -hmm. just coming back. But with most of those players gone, Silva did play, but the rest of them didn't. They still put up this great performance. So, Nipun, give me your opinion. I don't know that we can really give City the excuses we try to give them when they're still capable of performances like these. But I mean, uh, Karthik was on my other podcast and we talked about this. I think in some ways, when you look at Yaya Toure on any given day, Richard, it is a microcosm of Manchester City. He can go from being a 10 out of 10 player to a 4 out of 10 player within a single week, within a single game. Mm-hmm. So. I think that is that is a perfect example of what Manchester City are right now. They can win a game 6-1 and then next week lose to uh, Liverpool 4-1. It's just how they are. And you saw it in this game. I thought in the first half, I thought uh, uh, Gladbach were by far the better team. Uh, and then it took for a little while for City to come back into it. Even the start of the second half, I thought City was kind of wavering. And then all of a sudden, it clicks. And here we are. They smack in three goals and could have had another couple. 4-2 win at the Etihad. Vault City to the top of the group thanks to Juventus losing Seville due to a Fernando Llorente goal there. Let's move on. Let's talk about another team that uh, I think it's fair to call them inconsistent. All these teams in Champions League are inconsistent. But with <laughs> Chelsea, they've been inconsistent over the last couple of months. They go into the weekend with a lot of people talking about them, maybe ascending, looking better than they lose at home to Bournemouth. And then today against Porto, a relatively strong performance. 2-0 victory. Granted, the first goal was an own goal, and Porto yeah. had a number of their attacking options not in the starting 11. But given how we've seen Chelsea play, how difficult it's been for them to get clean sheets, how difficult it's been for them to get consistently good performances. Certainly, relatively, this was an encouraging day for them. Absolutely. And it comes down to the fact that they have one functional game changer in this team, Richard, which is, and, and it's Willian. Willian has been the one who has been scoring key goals for them, usually from free kicks. Today, he scored from open play. And let me give you, let me play out how the second goal went in. So the second goal goes in with, uh, with, Diego Costa playing the ball to Hazard. Now, last year, Hazard would have played Diego Costa back in. It would have been a reverse pass. But this year, that pass is going to Willian. Because Chelsea team and Mourinho realizes that he is the only player, only outfield player who is in form and who is the one who is ready to take the pressure on himself. And he put that goal away beautifully. It's good that we're talking about William in a positive light because of for all of Chelsea's negatives, we haven't had time to mention that William is really playing at a best 11 level. I don't know if for he's sure. in the t- best 11 for the league because I haven't sit down, written out all the names, but if he were in the best of 11 that we have after 15 rounds, it certainly would be representative of, of what has been a very good start to the season for him. And Napoon, I think one of the encouraging signs today is that Chelsea got something out of Oscar. And this yeah, is, of yeah. course, one of the most talented players on the team. Somebody whose creativity could really 
really be needed, but somebody who also Jose Mourinho hasn't fully embraced and crafted a role for him because stylistically he's a little closer to Juan Mata than he is the mm-hmm. players that yeah. Mourinho has held on to. And so that's what's a little bit encouraging about today's performance that maybe Oscar is crafting out a role for himself. Definitely. And you, we, we should remember that Oscar is the one who Mourinho saw as the successor to Juan Mata. And last year, Oscar was terrific. And the previous year, he was terrific before he started getting ready for the World Cup. So it's, it's I think, pretty appropriate that a game where Oscar came good is a game that Chelsea won. And let's not forget, last week, uh, in the game against Bournemouth, he was subbed off, I think, at halftime. Mm. Let's talk about another team that was facing potential elimination from Champions League if they didn't perform. Arsenal did perform a very convincing <laughs> performance against Olympiacos. 3-0 victory, all three goals from Olivier Giroud, who posted his first Gunners hat trick at the best time possible. I think, Nimpun, it's... Uh, it's a compliment to Arsenal that there isn't much to talk about as far as this actual game is concerned because they did exactly what a lot of people had hoped they would do. They put this game beyond doubt. Um, pretty much from the first goal, you had a feeling that this was going to happen. I, I think there is a danger, particularly with as negative as we on this show and other people mm-hmm. tend to be, to overlook just how big a victory this is. Part of that is it's Olympiacos. People don't really respect them because they don't watch them every week. But this was a must-win game, and it was a very convincing performance. And it was away from home. I think that's really important to note, that it was away from home and a game that they had to win. And in some ways, Richard, this is the most Arsenal performance of all, of all Arsenal performances because they've been written off. People After the Bayern games, people believed that Arsenal were going out. I did too. And then they come up with two huge wins and have now gone through one, three, nothing comfortably away from home. And it's in, and it's in spite of the fact that they're missing, you'd say six, maybe seven out of their first choice starting lineup. Someone like Joel Campbell came in and did wonders today. I think also we have to get, keep giving credit to Metsud Oltzel, who mm-hmm. is maintaining yeah, sure. those highs that we see, we've seen him year after year, whether it be with Arsenal or Real Madrid, hit those highs for one or two weeks at a time and then level off and become the player that Real Madrid can justify selling. But he has maintained that level for about three months now. And it's really great to see. And I think all the player of the year talk that he's starting to get is is really justified. Nimpu, we've put it off for long enough. Let's talk about the game that the most important result of the week, mostly because all of the other Premier League teams went through and Manchester United did not. Uh, Manchester United bowing down to Europa League again for the, the first time, I believe, in three years when they went down to Europa League after losing to FC Basel in, in group stage. <laughs> On Tuesday, they went to, they went to Germany, lost three to two to Wolfsburg and finished third in their group. As a Manchester United fan, Nipun, I just want to know your reaction to this. What's your gut telling you about the importance, the significance, the, the disappointment of this result? Well, I'll try not to cry. Uh, the disappointment is certainly there, but there's also the realization that this game was an uphill task. This game uh, was, we were injury ravaged. We had two, few, actually a few debutants uh, in this game. Um, and the, the, we went out of the group when we drew at home to PSV. That's the game that I look at. The last 45 minutes of that game, we had maybe one shot or maybe two shots on goal. And it's just not good enough uh, for Manchester United. So going out in this game, actually, I'll say this. I think this was one of our best attacking performances of the season. Uh, and that's saying something. Well, maybe that's not saying something given how few chances mm-hmm. we create. But uh, as a United supporter, 
I'm not upset with this result. I'm upset with going out, and I'm upset with what happened at home to PSV. So let's talk about the attack first. From the first goal, where Mata slides a ball through to Martial, it's what you would want United to be all the time. Not only the style of goal, and it's the people who are pulling it off. Martial, the big buy, actually playing as a number nine. Juan Mata, the team's creative player, actually playing as a number ten. This is what the team should be doing. And like you said, from that point of view, there there is kind of a silver lining to build on here. Yeah, it's a... Silver lining, uh, with the faintest of silver linings. Yeah, maybe silver, maybe it's a zinc lining. Zinc <laughs> silver is actually valuable. Zinc is just kind of useful. Exactly. Uh, it, it gives us a little bit of fool's hope, I guess, is how we should, uh, fool silver. How about mm. that? Um, I think uh, what you're saying is dead on. I think reverting Marta to that role is great. I, I want to see him play that more. Um, of course, once Rooney comes back, he'll be shifted off to the left or the right again, probably the right. Um, and Martial had a start the game well. I thought Martial was a threat throughout the game, as he's been pretty much ever since he's arrived at Old Trafford. Um, and there were encouraging signs. I, I thought, unfortunately, for a lot of United supporters, they are directing all that hatred towards Fellaini. And I, I genuinely don't think Fellaini, Fellaini had a really poor game at all. Um, I mean, obviously, he's not in the team for his passing ability. Let's be honest about that. He's in there to head balls down, uh, get in the face of defenders, and he did that pretty well, and he, and he scored a goal. Yeah, I think Fellaini's, Fellaini's inclusion was curious to me. I don't think he played yeah. poorly. I yeah. think, like you said, when you put Fellaini into your team, you're accepting a certain type of player with a certain type of skill set. And I think having both him and Bastian Schweinsteiger in those midfield roles mm-hmm. really contributed to a lot of the the quick transitions that Wolfsburg was able to pull off after that first scroll where they really started to be the more dangerous team. You can't expect Marouane Fellaini to all of a sudden become this hyper-mobile ball winner. He's just not that player. And the form that Bastian Schweinsteiger has had over the last couple months that Louis van Gaal has readily pointed out to the press over this week, Absurd. It, in hindsight, not even in hindsight, it looks like a very weak or susceptible pairing in the middle. And I'm not sure that there were any other options given that what are you going to do? Some Michael Carrick in there and expect him to be a defensive stalwart? It just, it just seemed like bad timing to not have Schneiderlin or even dropping onto Herrera back to a right. deeper role. It seemed like bad timing to have those players out. Yeah, injuries definitely played their part. Uh, and coming to the Schweinsteiger thing, I think Van Hall's handling of Schweinsteiger is abysmal, I think. Uh, I mean, Van Hall's handling of all his players is ab- abysmal. But uh, I think Schweinsteiger has been terrific in his first season at Man United. He's had a couple of ga- poor games. I think the game against Arsenal was his worst game. Uh, he was just overrun in midfield. But in general, he has been the only player that has shown the desire you expect of a Manchester United yeah. player. And I... I mean, he made some a couple of wayward passes yesterday, but he was the one leading the team. Without him, let me let me post put it put it to you this way: as soon as Schweinsteiger went off, there was no belief in that team. Even though Carrick came on, and he he's actually Carrick's uh, as good of a passer, arguably now better than Schweinsteiger, but Carrick does not have the leadership qualities Schweinsteiger does. I think a lot of the complaints we're hearing about Schweinsteiger have come up after Herrera got hurt. Yeah, yeah. And so you take that dynamic out of there and you don't have the, the younger, more dynamic, more willing player in front of Schweinsteiger to cover that space and also to be the person that Schweinsteiger feeds the ball to instead of pushing it towards that final third. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a big difference. So when Schweinsteiger has to take those extra responsibilities on his shoulder, he puts himself naturally in situations where he's more likely to fail as well as more likely to succeed. And he looks worse. I, I don't think that's a coincidence, Nimpun. You take Take that dynamic player of 
Herrera away, Schweinsteiger has to do more, and then people start to complain about him. I, I tend to agree with you that based on just his leadership and composure alone, I think he's been a positive for the team. Definitely. And and let's not forget that yesterday United essentially played in a 4-1, 4-1. Essentially, it's how mm-hmm. we set up. And Schweinsteiger played in that one position in front of the defenders, and he ended up playing as a box-to-box midfielder. Here's a guy who has millions of miles on his, on his clock as far as international games and, and top-level Champions League and uh, Bundesliga games. He should not be forced to play as a box-to-box midfielder. And I can guarantee if anyone looks at the metrics, his numbers, his, the amount he ran yesterday will compare, will be in the top three of any any player on either team yesterday. And it's an indicator that this guy is working his butt off and is still being criticized for things that, as you said, in some ways are out of his control and things that he should not be having to do. We're going to talk about Louis van Hall after our break. Champions League group (laughs) stage over, the focus returns to the Premier League, where one club beat Manchester United to a coaching change. Following in the footsteps of Sunderland and Liverpool, who've already changed managers this season, Swansea brought the Gary Monk era to an end. To talk about that, the founder and editor-in-chief of World Soccer Talk joins us. Here's my conversation with avowed Swan supporter, Christopher Harris. Well, Chris, I wanted to welcome you back to your show. You've written quite a bit this week on the site about Swansea, even before the news today, Wednesday, about Gary Monk's departure. How do you think the Gary Monk era at Swansea is going to be remembered? Yeah, it's going to re- be remembered uh, fondly. I mean, really, when you look back at it and, and you look back at how he came in, kind of rescued the club, basically, after Ladrock was fired, uh, uh, beat Cardiff City in, in the big derby, uh, kept kept them up uh, pretty safely, and then last year finished in eighth place, which was a really strong season. Um, so overall, in hindsight, looking back, I think most people will look at this fondly and say, okay, hey, he did a fantastic job. Uh, it didn't work out, and and uh, I think most people say, okay, let's move on to to the next manager. Although I, I am sad to see him go. So, what is your theory as to why it didn't work out? Is this just a new coach a little bit over his head? I don't think so. I mean, that that's the frustrating thing. So, from my point of view, um, he hasn't regressed as a manager. So he's doing. Um, just well was doing just as well he, as he was last season in terms of just the way he was managed, managing the team. So to me, it's not mistakes that he's made, but it's more so the players um, stepping down in terms of the performances. Now, is that a result of the manager not being able to motivate them, or is that players being complacent? Uh, it's hard to say. And it's one of those things, though, too, even when this new manager comes through, whoever this person will be, um, you mean, people might say, like, oh, it's, it's a new manager effect. Um, but you, you mean, it's, it's one of those hard things to actually kind of pin down. But to me, it's the club was is playing as well. Well, the club's not pay, playing as well as they have they have done. But to me, it's more the players that are really kind of dropping off in, in their uh in their performances, and that's really hurt the team. And Monk's doing the best, or did the best that he could with what he had. Um, but the big, the big thing for me too is really Wilfried Boney. Um, I mean, losing the striker back in January, and we sold him for like basically double the amount of money that we we uh, bought him for. So it was hard to pass up twenty five million uh, pounds we got, and we got Gomis. And Gomis stayed, 
and we signed uh, Adair in the summer, which was more of a replacement kind of striker, kind of a, a substitute type of striker anyway. But all the faith was put in Gomis, and that's really where it fell down. I think it's one of those things that, uh, for those people who have been watching Swansea, uh, they've been playing kind of relatively the same type of way they've done in the past, but they haven't been scoring goals. And when you're not scoring goals, I think the team get gets demoralised and, and starts to kind of lose confidence and starts to do the basic things um, poorly. And I think that's really, to me at least, that's really kind of the... The, the issue here, it's not Gary Monk. And unfortunate for, unfortunately for Gary Monk, um, I mean, maybe it is time for a change to have somebody new come in and, and see if this person can, can can fix things and keep them up this season. It might be a little bit of a group thing, but I completely agree with you. Watching Swansea, I think Ashley Williams stood out at the beginning of the season. He's waned a little bit. Lucas Fabianski has had his moments. But you mentioned Gomes and Sigurdsson. These are players that have been inconsistent. Shelby has been inconsistent to bad this year, and you go throughout the team. And the story seems a little bit like Chelsea's, Chris, where you look at the team and your instinct says you should blame the manager for the fall, but then you go player by player and you're forced to ask yourself how much blame should a manager get when all of the players seem a step slower? Is that on the manager or is that the responsibility of the players to be prepared and to be as good as they were the year before? Yeah, it's a great job to have to be a footballer. I mean, to be a player in terms of there's very little accountability. I mean, you might lose your, your spot in the team if there's a lot of depth. But that's about it. You're probably not going to get fired. <laughs> As a manager, I mean, you're you're responsible for the entire team and their performances, and you hope that they uh, kind of step up to that level that you need them to step up to. And if they don't, I mean, the manager is the one that gets fired. It's not not the players. I mean, the players could get transferred on, but for the most part, you know, I mean, especially with two transfer windows, the summer and winter, chances are players will probably stick around for quite a while. So it's um. It's a shame. It's a shame. I mean, but that, but that's football. And really, too, I mean, the big thing is this next uh, next season with the TV rights deal, which is going to be gigantic. Uh, all clubs are getting a little, little bit more desperate than usual in terms of making sure that uh, the teams will tr- uh, do the best to stay up this season. Because if they do drop down, that's a massive uh, lost opportunity in terms of uh, TV revenue. It's such a unique coaching position, too, because within the last few years, there's been a bit of a legacy built up with that job between Martinez, Souza, Rogers. Even when Laudrup was brought in from Spain, a lot of people lauded the the style of play that he was going to maintain. And then Monk, of course, um, is part of that legacy, having been groomed under all of those managers in one form. How important is the aesthetics to the new coach that they're going to hire, to the club itself? How important is it to hire somebody that maintains that stylistic path? Yeah, it's a great question because it is one of those things where we're in a position where we need the points. So if we get a couple of wins in a row, uh, maybe not this weekend against Manchester City, but in it, it, after that point, if we get a couple of wins, then then um, the pressure's off a little bit. So then you can kind of, like, kind of take a deep breath and, and enjoy your football, uh, as Kartik would say. But... <laughs> At that point, then, then it's then it's more about aesthetics. But I think at this point, it's more about points. If you can get some points under your belt, then you start to kind of play. Okay, let's get back to the way we used to play and play some beautiful football and kind of get more into that passing game. But maybe change it up slightly. Um, it's difficult, and 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 that's the thing about like somebody like Brendan Rodgers is that even if he comes back to the club and. Um, if kind of with open arms, I mean, I think people will expect him to kind of go back to the Swansea style. Um, but 
do you risk that you then risk them possibly losing some points because you're playing that system so aesthetics definitely for Swansea especially especially the fans it's a big thing because um we're proud about the way we play football um when we start to play that type of football you, you can hear the crowd a lot more and in the past past year or so it, we de- we definitely have not been playing that, that style of football. You'll get you get some glimpses of it, but and as a result of that too, the the, the fans uh, and the Liberty Stadium has been a lot a lot quieter than, than we've known it to be. So if you had your choice and they were both available, uh, say both agree to whatever wage packet that uh, Swansea can offer, who would you rather have, Brendan Rodgers or David Moyes? Uh, Rogers for sure, <laughs> which which uh, which is which is actually I mean earlier this week I was like kind of down on Rogers in terms of um, having him come back to the club, but he is one of those guys who can hit the ground running, who can come in, who knows the system, who knows the staff, who knows the backroom staff, who knows the players. Uh, he stayed close in touch with Hugh Jenkins, the, the chairman, uh, even since he left and joined Liverpool. Uh, so there's that connection there. So somebody could he could definitely hit the ground running, and do the best that he can possibly. Moyes, it's a different uh, philosophy. There's no guarantee that that philosophy is going to fit in with the Swansea system. Uh, the problem right now is not really not defensive. I mean, yes, they are letting in goals, but the biggest problem is they're not scoring goals. So um, so if it was the opposite way around, uh, where we were conceding a lot more goals than we were scoring, then perhaps Moyes would be, would be a, a, an okay fit. But I think Moyes really, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some other opportunity coming up, Newcastle or, or, or some other club that he would really kind of sink his teeth in, into a little bit more, kind of a bigger club. And I think Rogers really at this point is probably the best bet. Um, now, whether Rogers wants to come back to Swansea, that's a whole other question. But I think Rogers could at least, even if it's for a short period, even, even if it's for a year or two years, um, make a positive impact. That was Christopher Harris, everybody. A somewhat silent leader, I guess, for world soccer talking. He tends to stay El Gaffarino. El Gaffarino. He's on the television rating speed uh, for us <laughs> and really su- supplies a lot of the good original content we have on the site. But it's good to hear from him, and it's good to, uh, it's good to know that some of the people that are running the site on a day-to-day basis are basically just regular fans. Yeah. Um, let's get back to another person's fandom. That would be Yoon and Poon. Oh, no. uh, we talked about Louis Van Hal briefly in the first segment, but we got to dig into it because... Picking up from the conversation we had on the podcast this weekend, my contention is that there just is no risk with letting Van Hall go yep. at this point. I just don't think a manager that Manchester United could reasonably poach. And when I think of this, I'm thinking of Carlo Ancelotti, who was out there. Right. I don't think there's a manager that they could reasonably hire in good faith that we'd be getting worse results than Louis Van Hall right now. So I, I heard you guys talk about it. And while I agree with you in some ways, my only disagreement is... Uh, let me let me start the conversation by saying I think LBG should be fired, but I don't think he will be. That's that's where I stand right now. And uh, to pick up on what you said, as far as uh, no risk, I would love to see Ancelotti take over. I I think Ancelotti is in the top bracket of coaches in the world, top five for sure. Is a man of great dignity. Is a man who conducts himself in a manner becoming of a huge club like Manchester United is a tactical mastermind. Let's not forget the things he did uh, at AC Milan, especially. Uh, and as recently as two years ago was winning with Real Madrid. The reason I don't think that will happen, even though it, he has 
publicly said that he'd be interested in the job is because Manchester United, I think, are angling and waiting for Pep Guardiola. And I think they are cognizant of the fact that if Ancelotti comes in, he's not going to... Ancelotti's not going to be happy given a six-month job. To be, he he's too yeah. good of a manager and too has too much of a too much pride to be taking over a job like let's say maybe a, uh, Rafa Benitez took over. Yeah. Any any person of note they bring in at this point will be there for at least eighteen months. Exactly, exactly, and that that's why I don't see uh, it happening. I think more than likely, what will happen is Van Hall will be uh, gently let go. In May or June, because I, I I don't see Manchester United. Maybe it's just a reaction right now, but I've revised my idea that Manchester United will finish in top four. Really? Yeah. Uh, revised it as in as, as in, in I don't think United will. Okay. I think United will just miss out on top four. Because I think anybody watching the league can concede that there are six, at least six teams that you have to seriously consider for the top four. The yeah. current top four, in addition to Spurs and Liverpool. So mm-hmm. Manchester United finishing fifth, particularly when they're fourth right now, that's something that everybody has to consider. But to go another step and actually predict that, I, I find that very interesting, Napoon. I mean. What's your reasoning for that? What's your reasoning for thinking that Spurs and or Liverpool are going to make up that gap? They're going to be the better team over the course of the next five months. Well, I think we have, a lot of us have been focusing on the issues at Liverpool, especially. I I do a podcast with my buddy who's a Liverpool supporter. And we talk, we've talked about the issues that Rodgers left at Liverpool. We don't talk about the fact that United is a very thin squad. And it is a squad that is run by a man who takes his training extremely seriously and runs his players into the ground. And you're starting to see the effects of that. To give you an idea, uh, this is a perfect illustration of what I'm getting at. This weekend, we will have Varela at right back, Borthwick Jackson at left back, Blint, who's a midfielder, uh, as center back, has done well, of course. And along with him will be McNair. So essentially, we'll have three players who are younger than 20 years old and one midfielder in defense. Uh, which Weinsteiger possibly suspended. So it's a, it's a great example of the fact that we do not have the depth to deal with the kind of football that uh, Van Hall wants us to play. And also, Van Hall does not believe in squad rotation. Uh, let's not forget that he started the likes of Schweinsteiger in a Carling Cup game uh, at Middlesbrough and other games before that. So uh, it, it's an illustration of why I think we won't finish in fourth, uh, because we will have too many injury issues and we haven't even got to, you know, the crazy, uh, boxing day stuff yet. Hmm. Well, that lack of depth, it might be a good thing that you guys are down to two competitions at this point. <laughs> uh, Europa League on Thursday, everybody. Liverpool visits Zion with first on the line in Group B, while Tottenham hosts Monaco, needing only a point or for Anderlecht to drop points against Carterbag to take first in Group J. Those two teams, they're doing well. They're both in first place in Europe, although they've had their bumps, uh, Liverpool yep. in particular. Uh, but they are part of an overall pattern, Nipun. One that sees England now third in UEFA's coefficient with Italy right on its heels. And four Champions League teams that, even though City finished first in the group, I think it's fair to say have been inconsistent to disappointing. Yeah. What is going on with the top of the Premier League? We talked about it this weekend, but what's your view of the quality at the top of the league, I think uh, I think the Premier League has more parity than any other league across the league. That's one of the issues I think that underlie why we underperform in uh, the Champions League is because uh, when Barcelona plays, I don't know, I don't know, pick pick a team that they're almost 
always going to win regardless of who plays. Messi can be missing for 10 games and Neymar will come in banging goals. It doesn't really matter. They don't really have to worry about games until they get to Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid. Um, and similarly for Germany, Bayern can play. I mean, of course, this is ironic given that they just lost, lost to Mujin Gladbach, but in general, they, they can walk through games. So they, they are less, uh, they, they don't have to worry as much about their league games as we do. I mean, with Leicester City at top. That's one reason. And I actually wanted to talk to you about this. I think another reason that we are, we struggle or that the top teams struggle in Champions League is because I think that no real tactical innovation comes out of England. I think all the great tactical innovation comes out of Europe, uh, European, uh, sorry, of, uh, of Spain and, and Germany, uh, and Holland. And uh, I wanted to hear if you think that might be a reason why we struggle. I think the argument certainly has been there for a while. Uh, maybe not put in the terms of tactical innovation, but certainly in terms of lack of tactical acumen. When yeah. you see teams from England go on the road, in particular in France, in Champions League, and one or two little twists are able to completely nullify them. People have mm-hmm. looked at City's results, their, uh, their poor results in group stages up until this point, and try to explain it in that way. Uh, they s- certainly reply that to other teams at this point. I tend to buy that a little bit. Yeah. I think that it's a lack of managerial quality, managerial experience that these, that England's managers tend to not institute those little tactical changes or prepare for those tactical changes as well as other managers do. And maybe that's coming from a culture that doesn't value those kind of changes right. as much as that's it. other yeah. places. And I think that gets back to my whole feeling about the Premier League. I don't think it's a lack of talent. I don't think it's a lack of acumen even. I think it's a it's just the culture where the kind of excellence that we see from Barcelona and Real mm-hmm. Madrid and Bayern Munich isn't expected. People just automatically assume that the Premier League has to be competitive so that when Chelsea kind of walks away with the league last year, we we act like we're shocked. <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Like Barcelona and Real Madrid don't go into a, a La Liga season kind of saying, well, we have this we have this buffer and we know that Atletico and Barca and our challengers are going to respect this buffer too so we can cruise and we can decide this thing at the end. That seems to be what happens in the Premier League with the last three championships, four championships in particular, really decided in those last weeks. But they aren't decided by teams just surging ahead, right. although Liverpool almost did. They're decided by Manchester United stumbling and giving City their first title or Liverpool stumbling, or last year when City ended up claiming it, I mean, two years ago when City ended up claiming it, but it's kind of like nobody else really wanted to. Mm-hmm. And you just don't see that in other leagues. So I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, Napoon, but I, I do feel like there isn't the willingness to grab excellence at the top of the Premier League. And I think you're, the club you support really highlights that. Yeah. There is, And Arsenal does too. There isn't the same willingness to grab excellence, to search for perfection, to try to achieve those higher levels that we see at a Barcelona team that, ha- that has redefined their style to get better, a Real Madrid team that mistakenly moved on from Carlo Ancelotti because they thought mm-hmm. they could get Agreed. better, or a Bayern team that on the heels of a treble brought in Pep Guardiola. <laughs> And and amazingly, all those examples you just cited, Richard, have all shown a desire to innovate, not in terms of, uh, not just in terms of personnel. Of course, signing Suarez is guaranteed to give you goals in spite of the fact that he misses six months of suspension. But just the, the little tweaks that Luis Enrique made, the, the little tweaks that I can seem, I can think of so many examples of, of teams, uh, outside of England that make tactical tweaks and tactical innovations that then England tries to incorporate. 
you know, so at every point, I feel like the top teams in England are trying to catch up with the innovations made outside of England and are therefore always one step behind these other teams. And I think the last manager I can re- really remember doing these things was Ferguson, doing things like putting putting a Park Ji Sung on Andrea Pirlo yep. when they're playing Milan, or starting Fabio Da Silva out of nowhere in Champions In center midfield. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, just th- like the tweaks, little tweaks he did in that group stage against Seska Moscow to try to, yep. to try to pin back their wingers. Uh, we don't, we don't see those little changes and you can kind of go through the teams that are in Champions League this year. And I can't think of one little innovation that they've offered. Uh, but three of them are on to the Champions League knockout round. And th- so they'll have a little bit of a chance to, to prove us wrong, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, we're going to preview the Premier League weekend next, but I wanted to talk to everybody a little bit, a little meta discussion here just about the show and why we're doing these mid week shows now uh you know back in the day three or four years ago when it was me kartik and lawrence and we had a good three-year run together we would always do a midweek show to preview the the round that was coming up but we've kind of gotten out of that habit and more than anything we're trying to rebuild the habit of me kartik lawrence and the other people that are going to be coming on the show just trying to get you used to the, these voices again because there's been a lot of turnover in the show over the last three or four years but we finally feel like we're at a place where we want to have more shows coming into your stream. We want to be a bigger part of your soccer life. We want to go fewer than six days between times that we can talk to you. So we're going to try to do these midweek shows on a regular basis. Depending on the news of the week, one show, maybe two shows. Maybe one show we're not even going to talk about results. We're just going to focus on an issue that we couldn't really expand upon when we're doing a review show. But the overall point is we want to be coming to you more often. We want to be coming to you with different voices. And we want to keep improving the relationship and the show that we're bringing to you. So with Nipun on the show today, that's the first step towards that. Continue to look for midweek shows. We're going to be talking about Champions League more. The busy season of England is coming up. Transfer window is coming up. We're going to have a lot to talk about. Let's get back to the league, Nipun. It's an interesting weekend, one that's very similar to last weekend in that we don't have any marquee matchups Two teams at the top of the table matching up against each other. On Saturday, Norwich City is going to be hosting Everton in the early game. Then Crystal Palace against Southampton, West Ham, Stoke City, Manchester City hosting Swansea City, Sunderland and Watford before the late game, Manchester United's visit to Bournemouth. On Sunday, Aston Villa hosts Arsenal before Spurs hosts Newcastle and West Brom visits Liverpool. And on Monday, probably the marquee match of the weekend, Leicester is hosting Chelsea. Let's leave that one aside and move for now. Let's think about some of the other games. Which ones jump out to you? Um, so what I'm going to do really quick is tell you two games, if that's okay. Absolutely. Okay. The one I'm really excited about is the 10 a.m. Eastern time to 7 a.m. your time kickoff on Saturday, which is West, uh, West Ham versus Stoke. One of the, one of the five games being played at that time. And I think that's the pick of the games for Saturday for me because West Ham have the ability to surprise anyone on any given day. And here comes Stoke. High flying Stoke currently after after what was a an incredible win last week, uh, and then you have to consider that given the where Stoke are right now uh, in the rebuilding phase under Hughes, uh, I wonder if they'll be able to play against a West Ham that plays in a way that's similar to the way Stoke used to play back in the day. Hmm. So it's going to be an interesting, uh, almost antagonistic way a style of playing and i'm excited to watch what those uh those front that front three front four of stoke uh the barca Barca stoke alona uh will be able to do against west ham and the other game the other game uh is gonna be i know this will be surprising to many will be villa arsenal that's surprising to me yeah 
I'll tell you why. Because here comes Arsenal, right? They've they've essentially won comfortably won a game that no one gave well most people didn't give them a chance to win by two goals uh they won by three goals could have won by more so basically they won a game that people didn't predict they would win they come up against villa bottom of the league odds on to get relegated by everyone this is the game that you expect arsenal to drop points Mm. because they are favorites Mm. yeah if if uh kind of History holds, so to speak. And oh, as Arsenal fans rightly point out, maybe some of that history doesn't apply here. But then after the last month where uh, we've seen them drop some really some games that we expected them to pick up three points, a exactly. lot of Arsenal fans expected them to search to the top of the table at this point because their schedule was going to start going in their favor. We can't be too confident about Arsenal in games like this. I think one game that kind of stands out to me, and this is me being the contrarian hipster that's hosting a podcast and has to seem <laughs> intelligent, is Watford's visit to Sunday. Sunderland. Uh, We've talked about Sunderland actually kind of becoming more solid under Allardyce and having a consistent way of playing. And we're starting to spot the players that are going to be so impactful for them. Uh, As Kartik mentioned this weekend, Yanam Villa in the middle is one of those players. In Watford, you kind of see the player that Yanam Villa is going to have to be, and that's Etienne Mm Capu. And Capu has been so good this year. Maybe the best player at his position this season. We've seen him have such an impact, cover so much ground, physical force in there. Him, Odian Agalu have been their best players. Right. And I th- Troy Deeney's done well as well. And Troy Deeney is now starting to score goals. I believe he has four goals in his last five matches, although a couple of those were from the PKs, spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Watford is uh Watford is in the top half of the league, and they're playing like a top half of the league team. And when you have a team like that that also was promoted in the last year, the natural question is how long they can keep it up. I don't really see anybody at Watford that's overperforming. I don't see them getting lucky breaks. I don't see them doing anything outrageous or something that other teams need to figure out. And if they really are as good as I'm hinting they might be, they need to get a point this weekend. They need to get something because it's it's a litmus test. They don't need to in the grand scheme of things, but they need to to prove my theory, so to speak. If Watford really is as good as I'm thinking they are, this could be a 1-1 or a 2-1 to Watford. I, I think this is going to be a very interesting game. And worst comes to worst, we'll get to see another good performance from Etienne Capu. Yeah. Let's move on to the game that I think most people are going to focus on. It's on Monday. And if you looked at the table, this shouldn't really be one of the most interesting games. You have one of the best teams in the league, Leicester City, top of the table by two points against Chelsea, one of the worst teams in the league, only two points above the drop. It's weird to say that. We still look at Chelsea's talent and think they should be a, a major player here. But Nipun... I think this is a particularly poor matchup for Chelsea because one of the things that we've seen this year is the team looks a step slow. They seem unwilling. They seem not to be coming to grips with their, with a squad that seems more than just one year older. They seem a lot older. And it seems like exactly the kind of team that this Leicester side, with so much effort, executing so well, so much energy and confidence, can take advantage of. So uh, out of all those silly things I've said today, all the things that I've that might come back to bite me, uh, what I'm about to say right now is going to be the most controversial. You're not going to do it. Are you really yeah, going to? You're really going to do this? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm going to do it. Go for it. Chelsea is going to smash Leicester City this weekend. Not le- not just win. Not, They're going to not smash just win. Them. Not just win. I'm talking like at least three goals. Okay. Two how, or three goals. How do you see this going down? How how do you imagine that happening? Okay, first of all, let, let me preface this by saying I love watching Leicester City play, okay? Uh, and I hate just, I hate everything about Chelsea, especially Mourinho. Uh, but let me put this in context. So this is the kind of game that Mourinho thrives on where he's been written off. I think there have been a lot of games that have come through here where, Ch- where Chelsea have sort of been kind of starting to turn the wheels. And Definitely. this is the game that 
this is what I think Mourinho will really put, um, where Chelsea would really take uh, it on to a different level. So let me uh, remind everyone. So since Leicester City lost to Chelsea, which was back in April in last season, Leicester City have lost just one Premier League game since then. Just one. And that was the one against Arsenal. Mm. So that was a turning point in both Chelsea and Leicester City's season. This will be a turning point, I think, again. I think this is where we're unfortunately going to see Leicester City start to drop a few points, and this is where we will start seeing the surge of Chelsea. Just my prediction. Just a gut feeling. Yeah, very interesting. I think we're all waiting for Chelsea to wake up, and we're waiting for Leicester to go back to sleep a little bit. Uh, and like Kartik mentioned last weekend, although he, he did say he expected Leicester to get a result here, we're waiting for that, that correction game. Uh, but but this, So can, can we say this, Richard, that if Leicester wins, they have to be considered... Actually, we have to start talking about them as title contenders, not in just a uh, in a throwaway way. I don't think we can say it because for the same reason I'm sitting here going, well, you know, Chelsea actually aren't that good and we're just relying on names and they're older. I expect them, I expect Leicester to win. And if Chelsea does win this one, I think we have to be open to the possibility that it might just be a one-off or something might happen. And if Chelsea don't win it, we have to be open to the possibility that they just might be a bad team and Leicester is supposed to beat bad teams. Yeah, it's an interesting... I mean, I agree with all those positions. It's just tough to gauge where both these teams are because, I mean, I have written Leicester City off too. I mean, I don't consider them to be serious-style contenders. I am very skeptical that they'll finish fourth uh, in top four. Um, but if they beat Chelsea, uh, you know, a team that on paper should be... S- destroying them um and has historically I, I think they've never i think they've won six out of six against leicester city chelsea has so you have to at least from my perspective if they were to beat chelsea this time i would have to say that at some point we have to start giving leicester city the credit that they that they deserve and i don't think you're alone i think a lot of people are going to look at the ch- talent on jo- in Jose Mourinho's squad and yeah. say just exactly what you said if leicester can beat them regardless of where chelsea is in the table right that Leicester has to be taken seriously because there are a lot of other teams with a serious with a similar level of talent that Leicester's going to go up against going forward. And if they prove they can beat Chelsea, that's proof that they can beat those other teams. Do you have a score prediction for this game, Richard? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be 3-1 or 3 nothing. I think it's not going to be close. I think I like Leicester by that much. To, to Leicester. And to I was Leicester. saying 3 nothing to Chelsea. This is going to be great. One of us is... It's going to be a 1-1, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it will come up next week when you, probably you and I are back together. And it's certainly going to come Sounds up great. this weekend on the review show when Kartik Krishnayar, Lawrence McKenna are back with me to review the 16th round of action in the Premier League. But until then, for everybody at World Soccer Talk and for Nipun Chopra, I'm Richard Farley saying enjoy your football. The World Soccer Talk podcast is a production of World Soccer Talk and is executive produced by Christopher Harris and produced by Richard Farley. You can get the podcast a number of different ways, including Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Audioboom, or you can go to worldsoccertalk.com to download the show directly. To get in touch with one of the hosts, you can reach out to them on Twitter. I'm Richard Farley. Kartik is KKFLA737. Lawrence is LOZCAST, LawsCast. And Nipun is Nipun Chopra7. Don't want to bother with Twitter? Go ahead and reach out via email. Richard at WorldSoccerTalk.com. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 